This is from Psalm 50. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your fold. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. The one who offers thanksgiving as to sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. And from Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The Lord shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. But the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in, and from from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to continue on our giving uh, and money and generosity, whatever word you want to put in there, um, sermon series. And... um, Last week, the first part of this giving series, in the first part of this giving series, we looked at the way money and its handling create great burden in our lives and how we can only be freed from that burden as we look to Jesus Christ, a Lord and Savior, for rest and relief and redemption from that. And I urge you, for those of you who weren't here, to go back and listen to that before putting this series in your thoughts and hearts and into action. This week, we will take a small first step towards that relief offered in Jesus Christ for our financial woes. A step that will put our money and our resources, giving and asking, I believe, in right perspective before God. And and like last week's sermon, um, this is not about how much money to give or when you should give or how to get out of debt or manage your money. Those are great things that we may explore or lead you in the right direction in some of those things. But this is about leading us to a heart and life of thank you and help me before God. One of the shows that played in my house growing up, thanks to the syndicated TV bounty of Turner Broadcasting, was the Beverly Hillbillies. Y'all remember that show? Some of y'all too young. And the story of this sitcom is told by the theme song, and some of you have it memorized, and it went like this. Come and listen to a story about a man named Jed. A poor mountaineer barely kept his family fed. Then one day he was shooting at some food and up through the ground came a bubbling crude. Oil, that is. 
black gold Texas tea. I can't help it. <laughs> I can't help it. I'm sorry, y'all. I can't help it. Well, the first thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire. Ken folks said, Jed, move away from there. Said California is the place you ought to be. So they loaded up the truck and moved to Beverly. <laughs> Hills, that is. Swimming pools. Movie stars. The Beverly Hillbillies. Sometimes I just watch the beginning, then I go somewhere else. Y'all ever notice that Lou Holtz is, is Granny Clampett? I'm, I'm just couldn't. Um, sorry, he took the job at South Carolina. It's his fault that he looks like a male granny. Just, okay, let me move on. And as you could guess from just that song and, and, and just what goes on in that story, these, what I want to describe as rural ghetto fabolites, get rich and they move to Beverly Hills, but the bank account does not change their mountain insulated ignorance about life in Beverly Hills. They come with their fiddle playing, shotgun dresses, pig feet eating ways. And though they rich, they continue to live life with a hillbilly economic. Reminds me of the adage, you can take the ethnic or social defining term of choice out of the ethno-social defined environment, but you can't take the ethno-social environment out of the ethnic or social defining term. Okay, y'all confused? You can take the brother out of the ghetto, but you can't take the ghetto out of the brother, right? You and I have a problem in our use of money, our spending, and more pointedly in our giving as God's people or giving before the God of heaven. Whether poor or rich, have or have nots, looking to hit it oil rich or on the road to Beverly Hills, we all fight with the sinful tendencies that we carry with us in our giving decisions and in our money choices. Some struggle with the poverty, some struggle with having. Today, I want you to embrace this truth. We're all poor, and God alone is rich. We're all poor in some way. And God alone is rich. This 50th Psalm is, in its aim, assumes that we are needy, that we lack something, and that something is not money. But a redeemed and rectified money sense. That, that as humans, just that as humans, we just don't know. We we haven't heard, we haven't read, we haven't been socialized, taught right, bi- taught right biblical money etiquette. Verse 17 in chapter 50 says this: For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. It says that those who don't handle their money and their offerings and their ways before God financially simply don't hear or make time to hear. Not what the money advisors say on TV or in magazines, but what God has said. That they're too busy doing their own thing. That we're too busy living in the good old hillbilly brilliance and worldly common sense with God's money. 
Look with me at verse 16 through 18. We're going to cover the 17 again. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite my statues or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline, you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you're pleased with him. And you keep company with adulterers. Now, what the psalm is saying is that we take what God has given, has lent you, and has given you the ability to earn, and you cast lots with adulterers and with and according to a worldly thinking and system that is committed to making you and me lose our soul and loosen our faith and trust in God. And we use our money in a way that lies to us in promiscuous financial ways. That, that it tells us that we are the greatest and, and we don't need God to be our, our primary and sole leader in our financial decisions. We have become adulterous with our finances, right? Where we are compelled to, to cheat God out of his offerings and most importantly, cheat him out of his lordship over our lives in this area. Whether we have money or don't have any, we all suffer from the hurt, a poverty of belief, a feeling like we have to look out for ourselves. That we have no hope tomorrow. That that we have no God who really cares for us. Or we do have a God, but he only makes promises in the Bible. and, and And in the morning, we still have to worry about ourselves. Or he'll leave too much heavenly government paperwork to get the care he promises. So we spin furiously and we spin furiously. Our whole world somehow becomes about what we don't have and how to get more and how to secure it. And, and we cast lots and lie and ignore warnings from God and friends about overworking and neglecting family and get rich schemes or, or we will guard our money and our time from God and the church and the poor or we will hate the rich and despise the poor and for some of us save up money like canned goods like a fallout shelter for the God abandonment apocalypse and faith collapse. Some of us get tired waiting Because when we look at our accounts, we look at the history of our money, we look at our job situation, we have a tired God. A God that's just showing up too late for us. So like the psalmist says here, we gamble. Right? I think about what happens to a lot of folk who struggle monetarily, the poor or those on the margins. Think about the pyramid schemes out there. Hey, come over here and sell this and you'll be rich. And they always have the one or two successful people up front telling you how you can get rich. And their only goal is to is to prey on your your hunger, to to prey on your your financial ignorance in some way, to prey on the, the lack of God faith in some way and bring you into a system that's actually going to hurt you in the long run. You know how poor folk play more bingo that middle-class folk in debt, how they play lotto. I remember going on the gambling boats in St. Louis. Just wanted to see it, you know. And I'd never been into a gambling place, hadn't been to Las Vegas. We were in seminary, and they were like, we got the gambling boats now. I'm like, really? Well, let me go see a show or something. Like, I thought there was going to be dancing, someone going to be singing, you know, Michael Jackson or somebody, a 
Liza Minnelli, somebody was going to be there, right? Wayne Newton, y'all don't know these people. I got in there, nothing but wall-to-wall slot machines. And you drive through the parking lot, all you see is broke-down cars. You see people look like they just took their last paycheck and cashed it out. Just being taken. And here's the problem. When the lotto check comes, or when you hit the numbers, or you get that savings or that job you want, you'll be poor and hungry again. You'll be desperate again. It won't be enough again. Right? You you will still do crazy things and you'll forsake your family again and you'll sell your soul to the man and you won't give back and tithe and finally fulfill your vow to help the poor and give because you country, right? You you ghetto, you hillbilly, you're you're small time cosmically and spiritually speaking. Something is wrong with you and it isn't the amount of money you have or don't have had a friend when that talk about reparation checks was going around. Don't get me wrong. I want my reparation check. Yeah. As a descendant of slaves, give me the modern day equivalent of 40 acres and a mule. I'll take it. That's got to be a pickup truck. My friend Lance Lewis, who's a pastor out in California now, we interned together. He said, you know what's funny about the reparation checks? It'd be the smartest thing to do for money makers to send those checks out. He said, you know what? They'll get it back. <laughs> they're going to send the reparation checks out and they're going to get it right back. Because the guy at the Cadillac dealership going to be like, bring your reparation checks in right now and you'll be rolling in a new Escalade. They'll run out of cars in one day. And a whole community will run out of money in one day. Why? Because it ain't the money. It's the heart. It's the unredeemed mind in some way. I think about the prosperity churches. And there's two types of prosperity churches, right? There's kind of the, the, the lower income ones that's about, you know, walking around a car seven times, touching, naming, and claiming. And then there's the capitalism, God bless America, where you have the right to spend what you want and, and do what you want with your money and work as hard as you can to get what you want. They're both prosperity churches. There's a right wing one and a left wing one. And they're both ungodly. Our denomination, we lean on the right-wing one, where capitalism is ultimately the most godly form of economic systems out there. Who told you that? Capitalism is going to die when Jesus comes back. It'll be over. So it's not a heavenly concept. Being rich, as rich as you want, being free to set up and do whatever you want, save as much as you want, because you want to, because God bless America, you free. That's all going to die one day. It's going to be a monarchy up in here. I like it. I don't want nothing else, personally. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like against it, but I'm saying it's not ultimately. So you have these prosperity churches, right? 
And, 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 you know, we go to churches that worship. And basically what you're looking for is a church that worships a different God than the God of the Bible. Right. What you're looking for is you're looking for a God that will bless you, please. Right. Because you do the right things and say the right prayers and and live the right way and do all the righteous things. And I can't see a difference between that kind of church and that kind of worship and that kind of God than what I saw in St. Louis on the gambling boats. With that kind of stuff, the church has become just another gambling site. If you're thinking you're coming here and you put your money in the plate, that somehow that's going to make God do what you want him to do or make your money work for you, you're in the wrong church. And trust me, I think you might get better returns in Las Vegas. Don't waste your time up in here. This is a, it's 1120. In Las Vegas, you could be making some money right now. And I heard the steak is cheap. You know, Psalm, the Psalm in verse 21 says this, and you don't have this. It says, these things you have done, and I've kept silent, God says, and, th- and thought that what I was one like yourself. But now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. God is saying in the Psalm, I don't think like you. I'm, have you forgotten? Have you lost your mind? Have you lost your heart? I am not a spiritual monetary bookie. I am God. So what's the Bible teaching in all this? It's not the zeros on the check or lack thereof. Now, I'm not trying to say that ain't important. But it's more important that we check the spiritual holes in our hearts that need fixing. But there's good news for us hillbillies. Spiritually, financially speaking, God owns the hills, which means everything is God's and God is everything you need. Look at verse uh, verses seven through 13 in this 50th Psalm again. Hear all my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, I know all the birds of the hills. All all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the, the blood of goats? If we were to take an in-depth look at this idea and ask what and how does all stuff belong to God, we could and see, we could and should see that God made and thus owns the rights, the patent, and holds all the shares on all the stuff that makes the stuff and all the people that take the stuff and make the stuff and all the ideas that the people have to take the stuff and make the stuff and sell the stuff and use the stuff and all the life that gives the breath to run the lungs and the hearts, to pump the blood to the body, to give the actions to the ideas, to the sanity to work together and with the stuff, to take the stuff, to make the stuff, to sell the stuff, to buy the stuff, to have the stuff. All of that stuff is God's stuff. 
Last week's text said it best. We brought nothing in this world. And to prove that fact, when you die, you can't take it with you. Naked you came in, naked you will go out. All stuff is God's stuff. Everything you see or wear or drive or taste or touch are under God's dominion and control. And what God is doing to his people in this psalm to us and to us is what I like to do to my boys. He is confounding. He's making us stop and think about how we handle and don't handle and give or don't give and what we have that ultimately doesn't even belong to us. I love when my boys fuss over something. This is mine. Give it back. Or, or, you know, hey, you need to quit playing that right now. Why, Daddy? And I just like to say, all of this is mine. Why didn't you ask before you got a snack? I was hungry. All the food is mine. Good night, the bed's mine. You mine. Everything. And they get this look of unbelief. They're like, give me this. This is mine. I'm like, it's all mine. The clothes, mine. Don't go in that next room. That room, mine too. God is giving us a profound look at this fact. It's all his. You're just being allowed to walk in it and live in it and wear it and eat it and experience it. Now, if all stuff is God's stuff, then that, that we have, that, that means that all we have is due to God's giving it. All that you have, we have, they have, whoever they are, and all that the world has in resources and money and stuff, God has given to us to hold and carry and use and share and give and ride and fly and eat and put on and take off, which means this by application. I want you to hear this clearly. Our inability to honor God and give to God in our money due to our poverty or your or my financial struggle is not and never has been God's fault. And he shouldn't, therefore, be the one getting the short end of the stick in our giving and the long end of the stick in our blaming when it comes to what he asks of us in tithes and offerings and financial accountability. If he gave all we have freely, then how can he be the cause and hardship and guilt in our generosity and financial freedom towards God? And that has more to do with the fact that we are living in a financially broken and in bondage world created and kept that way by our wrong and evil actions. Man, God's easy to blame. Well, Lord, if you didn't put me like this, then it wouldn't be. Then, then maybe I could do right by my money. Well, Lord, if you had given me more. Oh, Lord, if you had made me more like those people over there. The scripture tells us that God does not need and thus does need anything we have. And thus is not up there pilfering and greedily taking all of our stuff and playing little games with us and left us in a financial bind. Look around or in the mirror. 
Someone has taken a little too much from the hills. Too many bulls and birds have been greedy or mean. Poverty is a result of some sinful decisions of people that have caused them to blow their money or someone else's money or opportunity at money. And that's verse 17's mention of casting lots. But more than that, understanding this is a communal address. When we live and connect as a human race in families and community and histories and heritages and, 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 and all the hatred and overlooking and greed involved in that, we, yeah, you and me right now have created and sustained an institutional and world poverty and top-heavy limited wealth and prosperity. This song is written because his so-called people are part of that problem. They have gone ghetto with God's giving. They have failed and failed to not have to have so much stuff or failed to give in such a way that helps others out of poverty and need. And obviously from the Psalms message, things have gotten so tight and so greedy with God's people at this time that they are unhappy with having to give offerings to God. There's so much misuse that they are led to mistake God as part of the problem. The psalm corrects us as it did them back then, teaching that God has given and we have mishandled it. This psalm is hoping that we go from saying and thinking, God, what are you doing? What have you done to us? To Lord, look at what we have done. With all that you have given. And so the resulting call on us is this. To thank and be grateful to God for all that we have and all that he has given, right? To seek him in all the need and, and suffer that we suffer in financially and not just individually, but looking around all the world. Let me say this. To thank him. For what is left after the mess and then seek him and all the mess we have made of all he has given. And in that we are saying, Lord, help our foolishness. Not just give us more stuff or more money, but Lord, help us from the heart to the hand. Look with me at verse 14. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And perform your vows to the most high and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. God is saying, bring some of your stuff to give his stuff before him. And in doing so, thank him for what you have been giving. Bring what you have as a thanks because even the little or lot you and I have is only because God has given it. Even if you only got two dollars, some part of the whole that you have given should say in giving to God and in doing so to others in the community, thank you God for it all. Let me go as far as saying even if you have nothing in your pocket, some part of your being can lift a hand, can clap, And if you don't have a hand to clap, a leg to shake, a blank, a twitch for the food that you gave, that God gave you, the energy provided by God who kept the metabolic processes going in your body. If you are here on earth, there is something. If you are someone created by God that can be offered to him to say, thank you, Lord. 
and with all the, your lack to say to the one who has it all and gives it all, help me, Lord. Help us. I don't know if I will make rent. Help me, God. I don't, I got too much stuff and I want more. Help me, God. I got fired. Help me. Lord, I got to move two cars out of the way in my driveway to get to the one I do drive. Help me, Lord. And we will get to in this, get to this series of the specifics of those cries for help and the means of saying thank you. But what we need to take away from this message today is in our money and our giving, God has a simple two-part philosophy. Thank you and help us. Not I've done right now, help me. But Lord, you have given and Lord, you are a giver. Let me put it a different way. Lord, we have wrongfully taken and Lord, you have given. Lord, we have squandered and you have given. Lord, we are angry at our poverty and you are joyous to give. Lord, we are sinners in all that you have given. But you are a God that again and again gives to us sinners. And here is the glory of it all, the gospel of it all. God answers us. He responds with help to hillbillies who could not fill out the paperwork to get his loan, who showed up late because they missed the bus to the appointment with the man behind the desk. God says yes to those who don't have all they need in their financial files. He says yes to those who cheated him and others on their giving. He says yes to those of us who are living rich on the misfortune of others around us. He is saying yes to helping us and convincing us of our need for him. But I must warn you now that things will not happen like a slot machine. And when you ask for help, God will help completely and fully. Let me be honest with what this is teaching. God is our help in our financial struggles, but his help does have strings attached. And though those strings are more like a loving umbilical cord to grace, it it will still be easy for us. In our hearts, broken hearts and financially desperate ways to distrust and then hate God's government. It will be easy to make the personal God into the image of the impersonal man or the machine with the money who has taken too long to bless us. A system that can be manipulated and used. And if we were to have a God who just helps us win and how we want, our thank you offerings will become, as it, is, as it obviously did for the people here, a payoff to God to get what we want for ourselves. So how do we get access to God's help? The help that we need yet we cannot strong on, perform, earn, or deserve from him. I don't want to underestimate what some of you are going through in here. You're going through serious stress. There's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of dreams dying and that have died in this room because of money. There's a lot of heartache. There's been a lot of mistakes. Some of you have worked hard and harder than other people, and you just see other folk climb, and you continue to to struggle. So this is not a sermon of get over it. This is a sermon to look to God for help. Look at Psalm 121. 
I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Though God is the man and the government, if you will. Strangely, this is not the description of an office that closes at five and you got there five minutes late. This is not a description of the person on TV who tries to convince you that if you would just send them some money and touch the screen, hurry, because I'm only on for 30 minutes. This is not the description of a greedy God who asks for more than he gives. This is the description of a father, a mother who will not leave their troubled child no matter what, who will and does protect us at great cost from the consequences of a fallen financial world talked about in Psalm 50, who loves us too fully and too much to be a distribution point of financial help more than he's a father who will love you and redeem you. It says, I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? They ask my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now get this. These spiritually metaphorical hills are an amazing thing because it is not only where the stuff we need is, the, the financial help we need. And you know, there's gold in those hills kind of kind of symbolism going on. It's not only the stuff we need in these hills, but more importantly, it is where the God of the stuff is. In the hills, therefore, is not only your help, but your helper. The psalmist saying God alone can keep us from slipping. From when you are financially unsure, it can feel like there's no one there to catch us or keep us but ourselves. God alone is cited here as the one who gives us rest for money problems that can give us sleepless nights. God is often as the one who will give us shade for when you are swamped in money problems or greed. There, there seems to be no break, no break from the burning sun of struggling and toiling in the field to have more. God graciously in this psalm keeps people from the harm and the unseen. For apart from him, we live in a scary place. We live in a financial neighborhood where things are taken and exchanged and traded and fired when no one is looking. And this is true metaphorically for all of us, wealthy or needy. God is saying, off, is saying and offering a life where we are freed and being freed from the effects of sin in our community and for our world because he is there with his people. And look how this is done. Look back at the 50th Psalm one more time. Verse 23. The one who offers thanksgiving as a sacrifice glorifies me. The one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. We see access is given to the hill and to the God of the hill, to the one who offers a sacrifice that glorifies God. I remember we, during this Roots campaign, some of you may have heard this, but we, we were looking for a building a lot of times. Me and Georgia would go looking for buildings. And back in the day, I had my long locks. My locks were like down to my waist. 
we look like the image of anything but somebody who could afford any kind of building. We look like the default brothers. We look like lease them and leave them brothers. And people would show up and they'd just kind of give a look like, yeah, right. Yeah. Redhead Italian, Hawaiian, and Rasta man. And it's still a South. People look at you and it's like, hmm. They not going to pay their rent. They got champagne dreams, but they got Coca-Cola money. I looked at Georgia. I said, Georgia, we need a white man. Not your kind of white man. (laughs) This is the glory of having an eclectic ministry. See, y'all think we plain, but God's good. So we looked at Elder Adam. Yeah, the guy with the khakis and the white Oxford polo shirt, penny loafers, who works for a company, you know, like a real estate company. We like, Elder Adam, you are our white man. You go first and then we'll show up later. And we did that a number of times. I didn't get to see the inside of a lot of buildings till a white man went. And they were talking, yeah, I work with so-and-so. Oh, that's very good. I'm like, yeah. Then Giorgio and I show up. Oh, Lord, he with those guys. It's too late. We in now. (laughs) We got access now. You done told them the deal. You done told them the price. You done lowered the price because y'all know the same people. Yeah. We showed up. I think I still had my old 89 Mercedes. I was bumping some music in there, rolling up. Who is this showing up? Giorgio with his shorts and shoes. Looked like he walked on the back of them. <laughs> Who can access the hills of the Lord? Not the white man. The right man. Is the right man on your side? Not just the right man, the righteous man. You see what God is saying is you, 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 you can't access the hills because you don't have a sacrifice that's glorifying enough to me. So he said Christ, the right man, the one who sacrificed his blood, who sacrificed his body, that gave his glory that paid forward all necessary for us to receive the grace and access to the hills and oversight and love of the Lord himself. Let me tell you something. I say a lot of things. I talk about financial brokenness a lot and all this stuff. But this church is filled with Jesus's blessings. This church is filled with the grace of God at work in people's lives. Okay, I'm going to do something. Oh, Lord, this is dangerous. But I think you need to know. If you've experienced financial brokenness and then, and then seen the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ work in your life, raise your hand. I want you to look around. 
some of us who financially broken in so many ways. The Lord is real. God has given to people. And when I look at those folk raising their hand, I know them. They're not good enough to get it. It's not about them having it together. It's not about them having the right scheme or money plan. And I like Dave Ramsey and, and Ron Blue and all them guys. They're great guys for financial stuff and all of that. But let me tell you, it wasn't any of those white men. It was the right man, Christ, that opened the way for them. To have a change heart first in financial blessings that they attribute to Christ secondly. If you couldn't raise your hand, my question is not whether why you can't get it together or let me see your budget. Not yet. (laughs) Or what's wrong with you? We know what's wrong with you. You struggle with sin in a fallen world that's evil and greedy. But I ask you, do you have the right man Christ on your side? Because the Lord in his salvation is at hand in this area in your life. Will you bow a knee to him? Would you send a prayer up to Christ And if you're not a believer today, you don't have a chance at the hills. Not because the believers are better than you, but because Christ alone is the means to true financial freedom and blessing. God loves hillbillies. (laughs) He likes the ghetto fabulous. (laughs) He loves us. And he's done so by sending his son, Christ.